to the dark side. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. staying in the true crime sphere but we're moving out of the states to our home and native land Ooh. to discuss a case that was recommended by one of our listeners oh yeah so thank you trinity thanks trinity this case is a roller coaster there was no crime scene for police to investigate and no witnesses to any crime It took a couple of years to solve, and even then, it was only solved thanks to one of my absolute favorite tactics that Canadian law enforcement uses, mainly because it's just sheer audacity and elaborateness. Ah, the pistol whip. (laughs) But. Tried, stride, and true. Tried, stride, and true. Yeah. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, so let's take a step back, and let's go to the beginning. Our story begins in Brandon, Manitoba, in the heart of the Canadian prairies. Brandon has a population of just over 51,000 people, making it the second largest city in Manitoba. Exciting. (laughs) Manitoba's densely populated urban metropolis. Um, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, obviously the biggest city is Winnipeg, which is the provincial capital. And I mainly put that in there because I found it funny that it's the second largest city in Manitoba with just over 51,000 people. And then that's not very many people. No, that's really small. And then Winnipeg has like, I don't know, almost 800,000 people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like the runner up is 51,000. That's such a weird like variants mm-hmm. from like number one to number two i know yeah but yeah manitoba saskatchewan they're just kind of there you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the little prairie provinces so brandon is described as a reputable place it's one of the safest cities in canada and those that live there say it's an ideal place to live and to raise a family even though it's the second largest city in Manitoba, it has a small town feel to it. It doesn't come across like a big city at all, and not much really happens. There isn't a lot of violent crime. The crimes that happen there mostly revolve around drugs and theft, mm. mainly drugs. Like if you look at the crime index for the city, everything is like low and moderate, but then the drug use and sales is very high. <laughs> They're like, there's nothing else to do here. (laughs) (laughs) So far away from Winnipeg. I better do drugs about it. (laughs) (laughs) So when Debbie and Darcy Chorney walked into a police, a Brandon police station to report their daughter missing, officers likely thought like, okay, Brandon isn't that big. It shouldn't be too hard to find her. Plus, their daughter was a bit rebellious, and she was 18, so she's technically an adult. So it's like, don't worry, man. She'll probably be home before you know it. 
but that's the thing. She was not coming home Mm. and no one could find her. And she'd been missing for a week at this point with no word. And yes, it was true that Erin Chorney was known to be a bit rebellious and she liked to party, but she's 18. What 18 year old doesn't want to party and spend time with their friends? Yeah. Being a bit of a rebel wasn't all Erin was. She has also been described as outgoing, fun, and she was very close with her family and would never willingly vanish for a week with zero contact from her or with her loved ones, like out of character for her completely. Mm-hmm. She was responsible and she had responsibilities. For example, she worked part-time at a local dry cleaner, so she wouldn't just bail on work. Her parents were beyond worried at this point, and they needed to figure out where she was and why she wasn't coming home or reaching out. Erin Kristen Chorney was born September 30th, 1983 in Brandon, Manitoba, so she was born and raised there. Her parents were divorced, so she split her time between her mom and dad's place, which couldn't have been ideal, but she seemed to be managing okay at this point. In her early teens, it seemed different. She definitely struggled more. At 14, she was in a treatment center for depression mainly. But she also had a bit of behavioral issues. Debbie says Erin was, quote, giving us a hard time. She was missing school. She was showing signs that she needed some help. And while that is hard, especially being a teenager and struggling with your mental health, I do think it is amazing that her parents realized those things and then got her some help and put her into treatment. Mm hmm. I think um, a lot of... And just teach your kid, push it all down, right? Be normal. Normal's important. You're not. You're embarrassing me in front of my middle-aged friends. I can't drink wine and get fat and sassy and eat soups when I hear you just going, ma'am, I'm depressed. You just shut up. Oh, my God. Where did I go for a minute? I'm not sure. I, I feel like you might need treatment. Anyone else taste purple? <laughs> I understand now why you don't eat soup. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to eat something, you know? I don't want to drink my food. So that's um not what Debbie and Darcy did. They were like, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna handle this with care, not whatever that was. I I just witnessed a mental breakdown before my eyes. What happened? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Nothing. We'll just keep going, all right? All right. <laughs> So while at the treatment center, she met another girl named Carla DeJong. DeJong or DeJong? DeJong. DeJong. It's got to be DeJong. It's D-E-J-O-N-G. I'm just going to go with DeJong. DeJong. Yeah. Uh, Carla. Mm. But they became really close friends while they were in this treatment center. When they were both done treatment and out of the center, they grew even closer, becoming like best friends. 
and they hung out. They spoke all the time. Carla was always has always sung Aaron's praises about her being an amazing selfless friend. Carla actually got pregnant when she was 17 and Aaron was the first person person that she went to. Mm. And Aaron was her biggest supporter. And just two days before Aaron disappeared, she was actually at Carla's place to meet her new baby. So really, really good friends. The fact that Aaron was an amazing friend is definitely the thing that is talked about the most. She's described as being a really supportive person, a great listener, and someone who would, quote, go the distance for anyone. She was also a very typical teenager, aside from, like, the rebellion, (laughs) which, I mean, not aside. Aside? Aside? I mean, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being rebellious is normal to be a teenager. Yeah. And some other popular, or some other, Jesus Christ. Some other teen tendencies. (laughs) (laughs) Some other very typical teen tendencies that Erin had was that she was popular. She loved talking on the phone. She loved going to the mall. She loved attention. She loved hanging out with her friends and spending time with them. Like, straight up normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And like any teen- teenager, especially a teenager of divorce, she did rebel a bit. Again, not out of the ordinary. She wanted to be with her friends, let loose, party, have fun. And sure, she did this often enough for it to be associated with her personality and her habits and for the fact that she's rebellious to be reported on in literally every article. <laughs> but by the time she's reported missing, it's been a week. Oh. She isn't out on some sort of like party bender with friends because said friends are accounted for and saying they haven't seen Erin anywhere or heard from her at all. Naturally, learning this background on Erin and knowing all of those close to her are accounted for and haven't had contact with her in any way for a week, police wanted to know the last time either of her parents saw their daughter so they could hopefully track her down. It was determined Aaron had mainly been staying with Darcy, so her dad, around the time that she disappeared. But on the day that she actually disappeared, she had gone over to Debbie's house for a sleepover so she could spend some family time with her mom and eight-year-old sister, Leslie. And she, like I had said earlier, was very close with her family. She adored her parents and her siblings. And Leslie, who is only eight, adored her big sister like she looked up to her she really admired Aaron and they had a close relationship so even though Aaron was spending more of her time at her dad's recently it was normal for her to have a sleepover at her mom's so that she could be with her sister on the evening of April 21st 2002 Aaron ate supper with Debbie and Leslie and then Debbie said that around 7 p.m Aaron received a phone call from a friend to meet up for coffee Aaron agreed told her mom and sister she'd be back later and added she would call if she planned on being out later than than expected. Debbie didn't expect Erin to be out too late because she noticed Erin didn't get all dressed up with her hair and makeup done like she always did if she was going out partying. So a simple coffee date checked out. That seemed like it. that's what she was going to go and do. So someone came to pick Erin up and she left with that person in their vehicle. But Aaron never called that night to say that she would be out late. 
And her mom wasn't that worried because even though Aaron said she would call, she had failed to do so in the past. So at this point, her mom was just more disappointed than anything else Mm -hmm. that Aaron kind of fell back in that way. A couple of days go by and there's still no call from Aaron and there's no sign of her either. So now the disappointment is starting to turn into worry. Debbie began reaching out to Aaron's friends, asking if they were with her or if they had been with her recently, if they'd seen or heard from her anything. But all of the friends Debbie called said that they hadn't. So Debbie called Darcy to see if Aaron had been in touch with him or been there recently because she never returned back to her place after she left. So maybe she just thought, well, she was staying with her dad. Maybe she just bailed and like went back to her dad's house. But when she spoke to Darcy, he says that he hasn't seen or heard from her either. Hmm. So it's been a week now. It's April 27th, 2002, and Debbie and Darcy go to Brandon Police to report Aaron missing. So police enter Aaron into a nationwide missing persons database. They open a missing person case. They send out a press release with her photo asking for the public's help and keeping an eye out for her um, or for coming forward with any information if they have it. And Dallas Lockhart is assigned as lead investigator on her case. The first thing on Lockhart's to-do list was to identify those close to Erin. So her acquaintances, friends, if she had any boyfriends, stuff like that. And he wanted to talk to them to see what they knew and confirm that none of them had contact with Erin. Because he had established those rudimentary details with Debbie and Darcy about how they had kind of reached out to friends and stuff but he wanted to verify all of those details for himself mm-hmm. the working theory in his eyes at this time was that aaron had met someone in brandon whether it was a friend or a new person and took off on like a party binge of sorts so they wanted to speak to the people around aaron for themselves um like i said just to confirm what all of the friends had told Debbie and Darcy. And then there's also the chance that like Debbie and Darcy are Aaron's parents. So maybe her friends didn't want to give all the details about certain things just because they don't want to seem like they're outing their kid or snitching on their friend. Mm -hmm. So it's just all part of their investigation. But Lockhart and his team speak to the friends and they're all cleared Basically, everything they told the parents is the same thing they tell the police. None of them had seen her recently. They hadn't heard from her. They had no idea where she could be. And now it was time to talk to her boyfriend. So her boyfriend is 22-year-old Michael Bradley Bridges. And he said that he was with Aaron on April 21st. So that's the day that she was last seen by her mom and sister. And it turns out that it wasn't just any friend that picked Aaron up for coffee. It was Michael. So, like, I doubt the, like, coffee date thing was what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. She obviously was just going to go and see Michael. Mm-hmm. Michael told police he picked Aaron up from her house in his mom's station wagon. And they went back to his house. Well, his parents' house because he lived at home. Mm-hmm. So he's in his mom's station wagon. Be weird if he had his own house. <laughs> Or or like his own place or something, 22. Yeah. Yeah. But he was still living at home. So he said that they hung out as usual. All was well. He said it was, you know, it was nice. Lovey-dovey. 
Their, ha- their relationship was good. She trimmed his hair, rubbed his sore shoulder, and then gave him, quote, girlfriend advice. <laughs> okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so after all of that, which sounds more like he picked his girlfriend up to come over and pamper him. Yeah. <laughs> he told police that around 11.30 p.m., Aaron left his place and then headed to a friend's house which friend who knows where she ended up who knows because michael said he didn't know he didn't ask those questions she just left and Mm -hmm. he never spoke to her again after she left his house okay yeah so that concluded his interview with police but they put a pin in michael well yeah i think i would too (laughs) because at this point they'd interviewed those close to aaron And they'd established timelines as to who saw her and when. And after talking to Michael, they realized he was the last person to see her. Mm -hmm. Regardless of this fact, they were no closer to identifying her or no finding her or identifying her whereabouts at any point Mm -hmm. after supposedly leaving Michael's place. So while Lockhart and his team worked in the background, Debbie and Darcy turned to the public for help via a press conference that was broadcast all across Canada, where they pleaded for anyone with information or answers to come forward. The press conference captured the nation's attention and tips poured in. Erin was allegedly seen out west, out east, in the States. There's reports that she was working as a sex worker in Toronto. People say she ran away to join a street gang. Psychics call in to say that they have received information. Like, literally anything you can think of is a tip that came in. Okay. I was going to say, this sounds like a circus. Yes, it was a circus. And because it's a circus, and there's so many angles to work... Following up on all these tips was a tremendous drain on police resources and time. And unfortunately, they all ended up being wild goose chases. None of these tips that came in proved viable, and they don't bring any new information or clues to investigators Mm. after all of that. So the police are at a loss now. They've kind of run out of ideas. They exhausted the tips and they feel like they've hit a brick wall. At this point, Erin is a true missing person. They have no confirmed sightings of her alive. There's no sign she met with foul play. So there's no trace of her body or an associated crime scene. There's no independent witnesses to any crime. Yet they are certain that a crime took place. And it's mainly because of information they were putting together about Michael. Michael had been at the top of police's list since his interview because he fingered himself as being the last person to see Aaron. You do that on purpose. Well, I didn't know how else to say it. Wow. And I knew that you would be like, you know. <laughs> he fingered himself. Oh, my God. He's just had a nice, relaxing day. His girlfriend pampered him, and then, you know, police came by and he fingered himself. 
for real though, it does sound like he was like, yo, I'm picking you up so that you can just give me my own spa day. It really did. I just want to know how he hurt that shoulder now. Yeah, no kidding. And probably what? Himself. Ew. <laughs> and what girlfriend advice means? Yeah. Like, what you are the? She is your girlfriend. She's probably just like meet in like a weird way. Like she, it, she's giving me like advice that a girlfriend would give. I have no idea. This which, guy's... which in which case is just advice. At the end of the day, who really cares what this guy says? Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fingered himself as being the last person to see Aaron. So sure, Michael, he's described as a quote blue jeans kind of guy who thought he was a ladies' man. Oh. But, but police found him to be very cold and full of himself. During his interview, he was distant. He didn't show any emotions. He didn't seem to care that his girlfriend was missing. And he had, quote, inconsistent body language. And police said his answers appeared rehearsed. So they were like, I don't like That's this guy. fucking never good. Mm-mm. He's practiced this in front of a mirror. Most likely. Yeah. Another reason Michael and his behaviors didn't sit well with police was because of the things they learned while interviewing Aaron's friends. So in a nutshell, Michael was not a great guy. He was not a good boyfriend. And in fact, he was kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, well, there you go. So everyone said the same thing when talking about Michael. Basically, they just described him as a bully. He was controlling mm-hmm. of Aaron, telling her who she could talk to and who she could hang out with. Everyone around Aaron told her to stay away from him and to leave him for good, especially when her friends started hearing and seeing firsthand that he was abusive. So there goes that whole section where he's like, yeah, I don't know where she go- She went. She just said she was leaving to meet someone else, and I didn't ask or didn't care. Exactly. Because like, yeah, okay. you're controlling yeah. all the friends that they, well, like, I can't say all of the friends, but enough people were like, yeah, he was controlling. Mm-hmm. Here's some examples of why he's a piece of shit. So Carla, DeJong or DeJong, whatever, one of Aaron's best friends, said that one time... Michael threw Aaron out of his house in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter, with next to nothing on, not even shoes, and he wouldn't let her back inside the house. He locked her out. So she had to walk to a payphone to call for help so she wouldn't freeze to death. The f- In Alberta. Manitoba. Manitoba, I mean. But yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And you would freeze to death. Yeah, you fucking would. Another incident happened more recently, so it was on March 10th, 2002, so that's exactly six weeks before Aaron was last seen. Aaron, Michael, and one of Aaron's friends went out drinking and partying, and they ended up back at Michael's place where Aaron and Michael started fighting, and it escalated quickly, and Michael ended up grabbing Aaron by the throat and slamming her against a wall. So Aaron's friend tried to break up the fight by jumping on Michael's back, Mm -hmm. and he hulked out threw her off of him and sent her flying across the room onto the bed and then hearing the commotion michael's mom entered the room and she managed to separate everyone and she drove aaron and her friend back to aaron's house she's like i'm sorry my son's a piece of shit (laughs) absolute dog shit grabbing your girlfriend oh my god by the neck if my kid ever fucking did something like that i would fucking choke him out no kidding like i'd be like you want to see what it's like hold on (laughs) yeah don't isn't that i just feel like it's like rule 101 when you teach your especially son 
anything. And it's like, you don't lay your hands on a woman. Yeah, you, you don't. You shouldn't really lay your hands on anyone, but I yeah. just feel like when you're talking about your son, like, that's usually, like... Yeah, like, if you can overpower someone, just... It's just extra piece of shit thing to do. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. And this just goes to show, like, how much of a piece of shit he is. Is that he started beating his girlfriend in front of somebody. In yeah, front of no her own shame. friend. No shame. Choking her, slamming her around the room. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Sadly, Aaron's parents had no idea about any of this abuse. They didn't know this was happening. They had no idea that Michael was violent. And they only learned of his abuse after Aaron went missing. So after hearing what the friends are saying to the police, then the police probably telling them, like... That's got to be fucking hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, some of her friends knew, which is how we have this information. And they also told police that a couple of weeks before her disappearance, Aaron was supposedly done with michael she didn't want anything more to do with him but he is obviously so controlling and like obsessed so that he he just like couldn't stay away he was repeatedly trying to weasel his way back into her life Mm -hmm. and that's apparently exactly what he did because one of michael's friends finally went to police with a quote strange encounter on the day that aaron went missing straight up i have no idea what this friend's name is I was watching a documentary and I have no idea what Lockhart, the investigator, is saying when he says this guy's name. It's like, it just sounds like gobbledygook. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm just calling him Manny. Okay. Because that's what I thought I heard, but I have no fucking idea. Okay. I don't even, I couldn't even, there wasn't subtitles available because it's YouTube, so it's it's just captions. Lockhart doesn't even know he's just calling a man E. Oh my man, E. <laughs> <laughs> but he realized that sounded way cooler in his head, so he garbled it. That's all I As a man, E. <laughs> so that's what's already this... on tape. <laughs> mm. Do you know that you do that? Do you know that? Do you know that you do that? It's mm. <laughs> <laughs> a weird reference we're gonna have in there. <laughs> It's like a viral video at this point. Yeah. People will know. And if they don't, then you'll know when you know. Because you will know. One day you'll know. You'll see it and you'll know. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. So, Manny, Michael's friend, told police that on April 21st, 2002. I don't know why I kept putting the whole date in here. We're in 2002, okay? April 21st. Mm-hmm. He was hanging out with Michael at his house. So, at Manny's house. Michael asked Manny if he could use his cell phone to call Aaron, which he does. He lets him use his cell phone. And Michael talks to Aaron for like a second. And then they just start arguing. Michael then told Manny that he wanted to go back to his house, so Michael's house, so that he could grab the station wagon. Once they retrieved the car, Michael asked Manny for his phone again so he could call Aaron back because he, quote, wasn't done arguing with her. They drove to a nearby 7-Eleven. And Michael asked Manny for a third time to use his phone to call Aaron. The call concluded and Michael told Manny that they were headed to Aaron's house to pick her up, which they do. Apparently three is a crowd because as soon as Aaron is in the car, Michael goes and drives to Manny's house and drops him off. And Manny said that he was really surprised by this because he was under the impression that they were all going to hang out together. Mm -hmm. So when... Michael just kind of rolls up at Manny's house where he thinks they're going to hang out. 
and only Manny gets out and Michael leaves. He was like, what? Jesus Christ. I thought we were all going to hang out together. Okay. Yeah. That was weird. And that's the last time that Manny sees Aaron is in the car with Michael as they drive away. That's sketchy as shit. I know. So I'd that's be why. going to the police so fast. I'd be like, this motherfucker used my phone three times before she went missing. And I don't know what that's about. Yeah. I don't know why it took him. I don't know exactly how long it took him, but it sounds like it was a bit. There was at least quite a few stages of the investigation happening before they got this story from Manny. But yeah, definitely sketchy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I just said, quote, strange encounter, because that's what Lockhart called it. Mm -hmm. Because it is weird. Yeah. So after telling police this story, Manny also took a polygraph test to corroborate details. And he did pass that. So police confront Michael with this story. And ask him about it. And then they ask him to take a polygraph as well. And he like just denies and refuses everything. He's like, don't care about that story. And also, no, I will not take a polygraph test. Mm. Having this information from Manny and believing they can trust that it's true. Michael is now police's official number one suspect in relation to Aaron's disappearance. And he becomes the focus of their investigation. So before it was just kind of like putting a pin in him he's one of our like prime persons of interest here but still got a lot of like work to do Mm -hmm. and with this story and the information they've learned about michael they're like okay number one suspect yeah this guy's starting to really stink yeah this guy's stinking so being cold-hearted and distant and a piece of shit isn't Mm -hmm. enough to arrest someone Mm -hmm. otherwise a lot of people would be arrested (laughs) Police needed a lot more than their gut feeling, the character witnesses, and Manny's story to bring Michael in on anything definitive. But they knew that they were on the right track. They knew that Michael was responsible in some way. Whether Aaron met her fate at his hands or he knew more than he was letting on, police knew that Michael was the person with the answers they needed. Police didn't want Michael to know all of that, though. They wanted him to keep being his shitty self and living his life so they secretly put him under surveillance by tapping his phone and by having an officer watch him in his house and having a group of officers conduct ground searches in his neighborhood and they were doing all of this in hopes that they would come across something or hear or see something that would point them in the right direction mm-hmm. or point just straight up to michael's involvement in aaron's disappearance if he had any at all In June 2002, so two months since Aaron vanished, the station wagon Michael drove, the same station wagon that Aaron was last seen in by Manny, was stolen right out of the driveway. Hmm. But it was stolen by the police. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to watch your face. Wow, okay. I was like, oh, convenient. I'm like, oh, that's actually convenient. (laughs) Yeah. So the police had obtained a judicial authorization to quote secretly take the car from the bridges family and conduct forensic examination on it i want to know how you do that as the police do you just like (laughs) do you just get one of the cool kids from the precinct favorite word and they he's got like he's like finally like puts on his like studded leather jacket and fingerless gloves and he's like (laughs) busting into the car or do they just take a tow truck and just i don't really know and also what do you do if you get encounters 
Like some guys like, what the fuck are you doing? Like literally we're the police and we have um very specific judicial authorization to secretly take this car from you. <laughs> so sh- secret. Ew. <laughs> Shh, secret. You said that's so gay. <laughs> secret. It is the police we're talking about. <laughs> They're all giddy about this shit, I guarantee it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're like, this is the most fun we've ever had. It's objectively fun, though. You gotta admit. Someone uh-huh. was like, you get to legally steal a car. You already know what you're doing. I feel like... Th- that's just a good old time right there. Exactly. Yeah. So police wanted to get this car so that they could examine it. They had fear. Like, duh, why else would they want the car? So they could examine it. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted it because they had theorized that Aaron met foul play at the hands of Michael. And whether it happened in the station wagon or the station wagon was used to transport her body after she met foul play elsewhere, they believe it was an important part of their investigation to access the station wagon. Right. So they took the car to look for hairs, fibers, any signs of a struggle, but they came up empty handed. Hmm. All of that covertness for nothing. Believing Erin met her fate inside of the Bridges house and not the station wagon, police next obtained a warrant to search inside the house. Unfortunately, no substantial evidence was found in the house, not even signs of foul play or even a struggle. Initially, they believed that they found a trace of blood on the mattress of a hide-a-bed, but further testing at the lab proved it was a false positive. Okay. The only thing police found that was interesting were notes that Michael had written that documented every single detail about his last night with Aaron that he told the police in his first interview with them. That's not suspicious. So when they're saying he was cold, he was distant, no emotions, his answers seemed rehearsed. It's likely that they were. Yeah. He was Um, cataloging his like mm -hmm. story. Yeah. So Lockhart, like, tried to figure out from Michael if these notes were written before or after the interview. But either way, it's suspicious and it adds credence to police's theory that they have their man. Because even if he wrote them before, then that means he's writing answers down to rehearse them, to memorize them, to practice them, whatever. And if he wrote them down after the interview, then he's trying to keep his story straight. Yeah, 100%. So, like, it just looks bad. That's, like, the biggest red flag you could fucking wave. So that's really all they found during all these search warrants for the car in the house and again this isn't enough to arrest michael all it does is add to police's suspicions of him Mm -hmm. and keep him at the top of their suspect list and on the list he remains police go through the motions they offer rewards they collect tips and continue to follow up on leads and the investigation kind of stays in this stage for a while until the following spring, to be exact. 2023. The following spring is 2003. 2003, I mean. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> the following two decades. <laughs> Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your buddy? Do you like cracking jokes and having a good time? Do you just like fun? Well, consider checking out Spoils of Horror. We are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week. 
We're not doing reviews. We're just going to hang out, talk about the movies we love with each other, and hopefully the ones you love too. Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. In April 2003, not 2023, Dyson. Yeah, no, not that. Not that, idiot. 2003. Stupid fucking moron. Yeah, my God. Oh, my God. Stay with the timeline. Jesus Christ, sometimes I wish that kid would just shut the fuck up. Oh, I hate him. (laughs) I fucking don't like that guy. Just want to take him by the neck and just. That's... Fucking look at their fucking junk. Waste of fucking space. Oh my god, okay. okay you right. done? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for hours. April 2003. Leading up to the one year anniversary of Aaron's disappearance, Debbie or Darcy, I'm not sure which parent receive a disturbing letter oh i hate when this shit happens i know okay what is it the letter details how beautiful aaron is which is really creepy and then whoever had written this letter claims to know where aaron is they don't directly say where she is but instead talk about how they tried to get to her but the ground was too frozen to dig up that's fucked yeah They apologize for what, quote, he did to her as though they themselves weren't responsible, but they knew who the real perpetrator was. Uh, The mystery, this mystery letter was turned over to the police who examine it and the envelope that it came in. They look for any fingerprints. They test for DNA, but nothing was found that could point them to whoever wrote and or sent this letter. Mm. This weird letter adds to the chaos of the investigation. And the false tips and leads that are coming in from all over the place, all types of people, and repeatedly turning up nothing. That's one of the reasons I hate those letters. Yeah. I mean, aside from, like, you sent it to the family and are fucking with them, and even if that's the killer that's fucked. But, like, the fact that it could just be some schmuck. It's probably just some fucking Yeah, just some schmuck. Like, the odds are good it's some schmuck, but, like, deep down you're kind of like, but, like, what about maybe it isn't and like you're just sitting there Mm -hmm. i fucking hate that you're just a piece of absolute dog shit yeah yeah exactly and like you're saying it's disturbing it's aggravating it's Mm -hmm. probably confusing and this is to aaron's family and it doesn't stop there because another letter was written Mm -hmm. but this time it was found in a public bathroom it was wasn't sent to the family And another difference is that it appeared to have been written by the person responsible for Aaron's disappearance because Lockhart described it as being more first person. So it's not even it doesn't even follow the like same narrative theme as the first one that was out there. It's 
weird though because the writer says that they are sorry for what they did and that their friend had urged them to come clean and to go to police and turn themselves in obviously they didn't do mm-hmm. that instead they wrote this letter and it seems like friend is whoever wrote the first letter saying like they were urging them to go forward oh okay and so it's it's not like the police publicly released the letters like i can't find the letters anywhere i don't know what they mm-hmm. really say so like whoever wrote that second letter knew what was in the first one but like changed oh. perspective apparently okay yeah that's such an odd or it was really two different people in who like planned to send the letters it's fucking weird they're like larping yeah they're and like then creating their own little fucking doctor who universe out of this shit it's it's ridiculous so this letter writer who seems to be the actual killer apparently never went to police they didn't turn themselves in and said they wrote this letter and they talk about how police were close to finding aaron's body and they allude to the fact that she is buried but that's about it for details like the letter was weird and it's suspicious for sure but it was really vague it lacked specific details that the real actual killer would be able to like give and know mm-hmm and regardless, the letter added more devastation to Aaron's family um, just because of everything they're already going through. And then they're already dealing with the fact that their loved one is missing. But now they're being taunted by these gross people and letter writers that in these letters is suggesting that Aaron is buried, which confirms their fears that she's dead. And mm-hmm. then it adds to the devastation even more because they're like, well, if she's dead and buried, where is her body? Mm-hmm. So it's just fucked up yeah this is i'm fairly fucking confident this is not the actual killer at all Mm -hmm. because this is oh it's fucking vague how convenient yeah and also like our prime suspect i'm pretty like narrowed in on (laughs) and he doesn't seem like the letter writing type no he really doesn't no he's just a blue jeans kind of guy you know just a blue jeans piece of shit with a bad fucking shoulder and an even badder attitude you know what i mean <laughs> but not like bad like not like down bad but like a piece of shit fucking <laughs> garbage human being like a disappointment not on a familial level level but like a existential crisis kind of level that makes god question the whole project of humanity that he's embarked on he's really debating whether he himself will be the fucking threshold that keeps the devil out fucking sticking a tune and fork up that fucker's ass you know what i mean are you? Oh, I figured this would be my shtick this episode. What do you think? <laughs> your whole looks like you're holding a shtick. It's a combination of the excitement of uh Macho Man Randy Savage, mm. but like a little bit of I think you should leave meets that um one comedian. I forget his name, but he's blonde, chubby dude. But anyway, it's a combination. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan? Yeah, it's Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's good. Thanks. I, I just was I like... I try hard. try hard to bring stuff. You don't have to try hard. If you try hard, then it, you lose it. Yeah. It's okay. Don't have it's an existential crisis about it's too it. Too much. It's okay. It's too much. Thank you for that note. You're welcome. So, the discovery of the second letter, police decide that they will go public, by publishing an ad in the local paper that urged the letter writer and the potential killer to come forward. The ad reads, 
help us. To the writer of the letters, the one who is sorry for what you know and for what you've seen, we need more information. Please help us. We can arrange a meeting. You will be safe. <laughs> so the author of the letters did come forward, but not in person. Instead, mm -hmm. a third and final letter was sent. And this letter made reference to the ad in the paper. And the writer says that Aaron was dead and they knew her body was still buried because they had gone to the location and confirmed it. Now, Brandon police were frustrated by these letters because they had no idea who was sending them and why. Because they were not helpful at all. They were just taunting and they were doing damage to Aaron's family. They're fucking around. Yeah. Yeah, they're having fun with this. It's they're not gross. They're not involved in this at all. I 100% agree. Because they would have given you the coordinates if they actually gave a flying fuck. Well, they probably wouldn't because they don't want the body to be found. But it's just... Well, it's, it's just, well maybe... I don't, it's just stupid. It's just all stupid. All of it's dumb. All of it doesn't make it's sense. It's gross. Investigators were also getting frustrated that the case wasn't moving forward. There's lots of tips. There's lots of activity, literally all kinds. But their searches and surveillance efforts didn't bring them any closer to finding Aaron. And nothing was happening to progress the investigation at all. Michael was still police's number one suspect. But they were cognizant of the fact that they didn't have any solid evidence. There is no crime scene. There is no witnesses. And most importantly, there is no confession. So at this point, Michael had cut himself off completely from pretty much everyone. His friends withdrew from him and distanced themselves from him. He rarely left the house. He basically became a shut-in who totally kept to himself. Mm -hmm. Lockhart and his team made the decision to seek assistance from the big dogs, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Please tell me there was a moment where they're all sitting around like a in a dark room with a big circular table and they're like i think it's time to bring in the big dogs i bet and then like some nerdy fucking rcmp mountie walks in and goes hi i'm the big dog <laughs> <laughs> oh no boy are my dogs barking <laughs> yeah okay well that would be great if they said their dogs are barking yeah they walked all the way there <laughs> That would be so funny. All right, I've completely ruined my image of the RCMP you're going to be telling now, so it doesn't very matter. much it's, looking forward to it. It's fine. It really yep. doesn't matter. It's still going to be sick anyway. Mm. So, yeah, the uh, RCMP. A year prior to this... <laughs> a year prior, Lockhart had attended a course where he learned about some undercover sting operations... And when he met with the RCMP, he brought this topic up, hoping it was something that they could explore. Ultimately, it was. And the Brandon police and the RCMP teamed up to get their investigation to the next level. And they concocted a, quote, clever sting operation to expose Michael Bridget's secrets once and for all. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's where we're going to end it oh, for part one. Oh, that was dirty. <laughs> I was so ready. I'm sorry. That's where we're going to end it for part one. Next week, I'll tell you all about this clever sting operation and everything that uh, came from it. But if that's it. Hmm? Gotta leave you hanging. You gotta, you gotta come back next week if you want to hear more. Yeah. I got to make sure that it's put together all nicely and perfectly to deliver it. And um, thanks again to Trinity for recommending this case. I never heard it. And it's just going to continue to be a roller coaster. It's going to get 
if you thought it was a little bit crazy, it's going to get even more wild. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, a, quote, clever sting operation to expose Michael Bridges' secrets once and for all. I'm fucking amped. That was like the fucking, like, teaser description to a fucking movie. <laughs> that was exciting. So come back next week to hear it. Yeah. Uh, Trinity recommended this case over Instagram. So make sure you guys follow us at Dark Adaptation Podcast on Instagram. And while you're there, you can say hi. Uh, you can send over your own case suggestions, too. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sources that we used for this episode is available on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And while you're there, you can also support us by buying us a coffee to fuel our research. You could buy an embroidered patch if you're so inclined. And if you can't support monetarily, that's okay. Make sure you've rated the show and left a review uh, on whatever platform, if it allows it. Mm-hmm. It just helps us grow. Um, thank you. It means the world. And uh, just thank you. Yeah, thanks. We'll catch you on the dark side for part two. Bye-bye. me in front of my middle-aged friends. I can't drink wine and get fat and sassy and eat soups when I hear you just going, man, I'm depressed. Shut up.